This is Sarah Miller from The Real Sarah Miller and from also Didn't See It, Don't Need To. Welcome to my co-host. Hello, Joshua. How are you? Hello, Sarah. I am fine. I want to say hello to our massive and still growing audience base. Hello, everyone. I want to just let you on a little secret as we're getting started. A movie that we didn't see, didn't need to, and also decided not to talk about is the most recent Agatha Christie movie, which we had discussed. Is it Death on the Nile? Is that what it is, Sarah? Yes. It's, we discussed that as a possible movie to talk about. And we thought it would be a good choice because all of Sarah's and my underlying disagreements, I think that's a neutral way to put it, come to a head uh, around Agatha Christie, Death of the Nile, British stuff. But because we love peace, and, and comedy and good feeling, we decided not to do that movie, didn't see it, didn't need to, didn't talk about it, which brings us to tonight's episode back to you, Sarah Miller. I just want to say that I'm not seeing that movie. I, that, as I tried to make clear, the reason we are not talking about it is not because you're seeing it, but because we simply decided that we did not want to impress upon our audience our own underlying and fundamental disagreements, at least this week, it could happen in the future, no promises. I don't know if that's why we didn't see it. I feel like I finally didn't see a movie that's in my genre of movies I would usually see because I actually didn't want to see it. And I feel like I deserve credit for that. I feel like you keep on answering the question of why we didn't see it, whereas I'm trying to answer the question of why we're not talking about it. Okay. Anyway, moving on. And yet here we managed to have a disagreement, even having not seen and not seen talked about the movie. Well, anyway. truth, truth will out, as they say at the end of every Agatha Christie book. Oh, right. Good point. So tonight we are going to talk about Cyrano, uh, directed by Joe Wright, starring Peter Dinklage and other people who I'd have to look, at, uh, look up their names. Joshua, do you remember any names? Uh, I certainly know that Haley Bennett plays the female lead who's been in a couple of other movie musicals previously. Yeah, I looked her up before this and I kind of didn't recognize anything that she, I, I don't know if I'd seen anything that they that she'd been in, but yes, um, Joe Wright's partner. But I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know that much about her other than that. So we are doing Cyrano and why don't you start off with our opening remarks? Here's my review of the movie that I haven't seen. So, Sarah, you know, do you know about the Amazon Turk? Do you know about that program? It's where I've... through the Amazon website, you can hire strangers for pennies to do, I think it's called crowd working. There's very, so yeah, you can go onto Amazon and through the Amazon Turk interface, you say like, say you have like, you know, a hundred thousand surveys you took that are like handwritten and scanned and you want people to look through them and say how many times someone mentions Sarah Miller. And you can hire people to do that. Uh, Amazon has a great expression for it. They call it artificial, artificial intelligence, meaning human intelligence, which is to say it's sort of automated work that's not actually automated. It's, it's done by humans for incredibly low pay 
but it seems to be automated because you're just having inter interaction with Amazon, right? So I'm sort of fascinated by Amazon Turk. I should mention a friend of mine, Annie McClanahan, who's a brilliant scholar. Uh, this is part of her scholarship as she writes about Amazon Turk and gig work and things like that. So that's one of the reasons I know about it. So I'm really interested in that sort of, you know, behind the machine, there's actually just like cheap labor doing your shit. I also discovered similar to this, that on the University of California, Berkeley campus, which I walk across sometimes in my life, there's those little robot boxes that deliver food to the dorms. And you think, amazing, these robots, they're whatever, they can geolocate and they're terrain sensitive and they make their way from wherever they emanate from, who knows, to the dorms to deliver, you know, I assume it's grilled cheese sandwiches or pot to, to, some, to, to some dorm. And it, it turns out, of course, that they're not automated at all. They're operated remotely by people in South America working for like, you know, again, like pennies per hour operating them remotely by satellite. It's another situation where there's behind the machine, the seemingly amazing machine, there's just like underpaid labor. So one more example that I'm into, this all dates back to the 18th century maybe, where there was this thing, you know, Amazon's thing is called the Amazon Turk. There was the mechanical Turk, which was actually like a, a, an illusion phenomenon. It was a chess playing automaton, right? That, that not only could play chess automatically, but could beat, you know, all comers and famously defeated Napoleon and Benjamin Franklin. It toured around and it was a machine. It looked like sort of an Ottoman magician. It was very Orientalist to go back to a theme from our previous talk. This is you know, automated chess player that could, that could be intelligent humans, which was later revealed to be an illusion. And there was in fact, you know, a small chess master concealed within the apparatus under the table, hidden by a careful, set of designs he was actually operating in. So again, impressive machine, not really, just a, like a small concealed little laborer doing the actual work. Well, obviously this is what Cyrano is about, right? Like that's just the story of Cyrano is that there's a, there's not the machine, right? But there's like the hunky guy who seems to have all the moves and, and, and seems to have the gift of gab. But in fact, behind that, there's the, sort of small concealed laborer, who in this case is played by Peter Dinklage, a Cyrano. Uh, and so in some sense, like I just think this movie is uh, an allegory for this modern contemporary situation where we think we're getting one kind of service that is in some sense easily, easily available and pleasing, but behind it is like miserable hidden labor. That's only part one. I have part two. I can see you're excited, Sarah Miller, for your part. And I'm excited for your part as well. But part two, I want to add another allegory to that, right? Which is, you're telling me that it's a movie in which there's like a physically appealing, sort, sort of lovely to look at, but finally not very interesting, sort of insipid beefcake. And that what you do is sit around sort of enjoying that, but waiting for Peter Dinklage to appear and be actually interesting. That's just Game of Thrones, dude. If that was the movie experience I wanted, I would rewatch Game of Thrones and be happy about it. The end, no way am I seeing this movie. Didn't see it, did not need to. Sarah Miller, what do you got? I really like that reading of this movie. And um, thank you. Thank you for bringing it to me and to our listeners. Listener. I was just kind of wondering why 
this, my, my analysis is a little bit more straightforward. I was just sort of wondering why this movie got made at all. And then I, at first I was like, oh, well, everyone's always like talking about toxic masculinity. And it's like the idea that you could make a man, a good looking man, and then a man who can talk. And then like, that would make like one decent man or something. It's like the fantasy about that. I mean, that's what Cyrano sort of about maybe. And like, that's very, that would be sort of a timeless, something that would be popular right now. And then I was like, oh, maybe it's just like sheer, there's no future. Let's make just the constant rehashing of old movies, old themes. It depressed me to see that someone was making this. It's They've done it so many times. Just the sheer sort of acknowledgement that there was like nothing new or there was no point in making anything new or there was like no uh, like money behind making anything new. It was just like, let's just admit that game over. Let's remake Cyrano. I was like, oh God, really? Um, which which is like what a lot of stuff is feels feels like to me right now. Uh, I wouldn't say it necessarily is. That's how it feels to me. But then I was also, I talked to a friend of mine and she does like dis- disability studies. And she was like, well, they kind of had to remake, like Cyrano was about a person with a big nose. It's always been about a person with a big nose, right? Or I think, I mean, I know the Steve Martin one was, I think that Gerard Depardieu, and I know it's been like an old, it's an old story. Um, and they can't really just be like, oh, he's a big nose. That's not, it's just would be considered mean. And so they have to make him short, which is like something that we can sort of like root for. And it's sort of, it's something that we can acknowledge as like a disability, whereas just like having a big nose would just be like nasty. So my friend was just saying that that that's sort of like why she thought that there was a sense that Cyrano needed to be remade with a disability that was classifiable and you you uh you have something to say about the uh about the nose i do i always as as someone with a you know i'm not going to say it's grotesque but i would say i have a slightly large nose so i want to i want to chime in on this first of all i appreciate your friends thoughts and your working with them collaborative effort love that and that account of like thinking about this as wanting to make explicit the question of disability, that seems right and useful to me. What's interesting, right, is it's true that a big nose isn't a isn't a disability, right? It just means, I mean, we all we all know what it means. It's code for being Jewish, right? And what's interesting to me there is this is actually a long-standing tradition. A recent iteration, there was a French sort of biopic of Serge Gainsbourg. It was, it was, it was like a weirdly like sort of fictionalized, there were puppets involved. Uh, this, I don't know, it's 10 years ago, maybe, but it was, it was quite interesting. But its underlying claim was not so much about Serge Gainsbourg in particular, who I don't think, if you haven't lived in France, it's hard to appreciate what a huge star Serge, Serge Gainsbourg is. I mean, you know, beyond Sinatra, right? It's a huge culture star. But the logic of the movie was, was uh, the thing it was trying to work through was fairly simple, and it was this. Jews provide content. Like that was the story it told of the history of like French and European entertainment was it's pretty anti-Semitic, but everyone in fact needs Jewish people because they provide the content for the entertainment industry, even if they don't actually perform it. And what was interesting about Gainsbourg is he's Jewish, right? Is that he doesn't just provide the content, but is also the face of it and performs it. So there is some interesting history, not just like going back centuries, but just in Hollywood or whatever, right? About Jews providing content, 
being screenwriters, com coming up with ideas, right? Doing, doing that work, but not being the face. Or if they are having to deeply conceal it and change their names and falsify their backstories and, and so on. So it is interesting to tack away from that history of like Cyrano as, uh, as Jewish content being provided to waspy model actors, right? Um, and, and to tack away from that toward disability. There's something interesting about that. I don't think it's necessarily bad or good, but interesting. So I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. It's also interesting because Peter Dinklage, <clears throat> even though he's short, is so good looking. I know, right? Like he's so good looking, which will come up later. Oh, it's in, it's, it's in one of your bespoke questions. It is. Um, so his face is so classically handsome. Uh, but then also with like a little bit craggy. So it's like sexy. It's like, it's like handsome beyond handsome. Cause it's like masculine. He's really, and especially like once you start working the beard thing as you know, in the, in the last decade or so, it's sort of like the slightly mountain man-esque beard yeah. a little bit. It's amazing. Uh, so should we move on to our uh, regular questions? Let's move on to our regular yeah. questions as the audience at home will know. We do five questions every episode. Three of them are preset, repeated episode to episode. And then the last two are bespoke. We, we craft by hand. Individ two individual questions, each for the other, uh, that come at the very end, which is to say it's sort of set up as if it's the payoff, but usually, in fact, they're fairly trivial and annoying, as you'll discover. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's do our three preset questions. I'll ask you first. The first question is, if you were to see this movie, Sarah Miller, what would you be dreading? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. And I have a very simple answer. We uh, yesterday I looked up some reviews of this movie that were just things people had written on the Internet. And this person, Eric Walsh, Eric with an H Walsh said two stars. This never happened to me before. It was the first time I nearly walked out of a film because it was so bad in the first half hour. And later there was a scene that was incredibly moving and made it overall worthwhile. And there, what I would be most dreading is whatever that scene was. Thank you, Eric Walsh. Two stars. No avatar. Yeah, my answer might be the same. I don't know what scene it is. Neither do you. But I, I wonder if it's this scene, which is the scene I would be dreading. So obviously the movie is a rig and we're supposed to, you know, from the original play, the Edward Rostand play, right? In, in, in the end, we're supposed to prefer as the, as the um, official observer slash audience stand-in character ends up preferring the wordsmith, the eloquent, the well-spoken, the thoughtful, the insightful to the beefcake. But in the contemporary version, it's, seems to me absolutely certain that it will try to be even-handed and in fact show the virtues, equivalent virtues of both the male characters and like the scene where it, it makes sure to be even-handed and not simply be like, well, this one good, this one, ha, ha, ha. But like, make sure it's even-handed. I would hate that scene. I'm, I'm, I'm already dreading that scene and I'll never see this movie. Yes, I, I would be dreading that scene. And if it's not the same as the other scene, I would be dreading both of those. Okay, question number two. What would you be looking forward to? What might you be looking forward to were you to see this movie, which you will not be seeing? Were I to see this movie, I would be looking, I think I already gave this one away, but I'm going to say Peter Dinklage's beard. Love that beard. 
I've tried to grow a beard a couple of times. I don't mind it. I don't have strong feelings either way. But boy, if I could have my way and I could grow Peter Dinklage's best beard, I, I, I would just be so happy. So I think that, that would be my call there. How about you, Sarah Miller? What would you be looking forward to? Well, I am, as you are, a huge Taylor Swift fan. Indeed. And the music uh, was, a lot of the music for this was done by Aaron Desner and uh, the other guy who is in the national. The other their, Desner, it's their brother. What, their what's brother. his name? They're, he's the other Desner, they're brothers. Well, no, but then there's another one, Behringer or something. Bar- yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I would be looking forward to possibly music that I listened to a couple like uh, little interviews with them about this about this movie and i would be looking forward to possibly hearing a few licks i would be looking forward to a few moments in the music i probably wouldn't like a whole song but i would be looking forward to a few moments that i enjoyed in the music because aaron desner wrote was responsible for some of it and i just love his the two albums that he did with taylor swift yeah, I can't get with you on that one. I completely agree with you that the work of Aaron Desner with Taylor Swift, much to my surprise, was pretty excellent. Lots of good songs on, on, on both those records. That said, absent Taylor Swift in the form of The National with, you know, his brother and Mike Berninger, I find them intolerable. So, so I don't imagine I would enjoy that, but I'm hoping for your sake that when you do never see this movie, you will nonetheless somehow uh, possibly enjoy that or have something to look forward to. I have I'm... never heard a song by The National ever. So I don't even, my relationship to The National is all through Taylor Swift. I feel like for a while, that was like my safest way to know about people was if they told me they liked The National, I would just know that they were not not my kind of person. But you know, now I, it's true, after the two Taylor Swift records, I have to be more open-minded, but I think we can move on from this topic now because- Uh, You know, the the night is long and the podcast is short. So what would it take for you to see this movie? I appreciate that question. I feel like the default answer we almost always use is like stuck on an airplane. And that's the default answer because it's a good one. But I'm going to not use that one in this case. Earlier, I mentioned uh, my friend, Annie McClanahan, great scholar who's writing a book on gig work and talks about the Mechanical Turk and the Amazon Turk and all this sort, sort of history of these things. And I could imagine a situation in which I was reviewing her book for some scholarly journal that read by, you know, at least as many people as listen to this podcast, probably about the same number. And uh, in preparing to write my review, I was doing due diligence and I would watch the movie Cyrano as part of my due diligence in thinking about sort of latter day uh, and historical borrowings of that structure of sort of the secret labor hidden behind the seemingly automatic performance. So that's a scenario. I know it's a kind of elaborate one, but that's, if it's going to happen, happen it's going to happen like that i think that that would be a reasonable way for it to happen even though it's perhaps unlikely but it seems like it could happen and um i hope for your sake that it doesn't although you know maybe it would be good if it did you know as as is often the case 
we'll see. Something to look forward to. What would have to happen for you, Sarah Miller, to see this movie? So I'm just sitting around one day and my phone rings and it's Taylor Swift. Happens all the time. And Taylor Swift was like, oh, is this Sarah Miller? Um, I really loved your article about the English patient. And I really also loved your article, Do Things Matter? And I loved your work editing um, Joshua Clover, writing about why we'll never have high speed trains, which means I took I was like, uh, you said and twice. I loved that. So she's like, I really need to go see Cyrano with someone who will both understand what's annoying about this movie, but maybe enjoy certain moments of it with, you know, of the music with me, because we love the work that I've done with Aaron Dessner. We both love that work. And I would say, oh, yes, Taylor, I'd love to go see this movie with you. And she's like, I'm down the street at your local movie theater and I'm ready to see it with you. And that's what would, that's what it would take. I really want that to happen for you. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I think, you know, the odds probably not in your favor, but I'm going to hold it open as a possibility. I want it for you. Uh, as they say on a TV show, which I also will stand up for. I love that for you. So let's uh, hope that happens and let's move on to our bespoke questions for the week. I'm ready. Okay. So the other day I said to my partner, I used to see Peter Dinklage on the path train all the time. And he said, what's the path train? And I said, the path train is the train that goes between Manhattan and like Hoboken and Jersey city. So he said, what would Peter Dinklage be doing on the path train? So I was going to ask you what Peter Dinklage would be doing on the path train in like 1998, but then I thought it's too easy. So I thought, and not fun enough. So I thought I would ask you, what celebrity did you see in New York, like 1998, 1999, 2000, everywhere before they were famous? Uh, I like the question, but I'm, I'm not going to be able to answer it. There's a couple of reasons for that. So I did live in New York, uh, I've lived in New York, not a lot of my life, but I did live in New York uh, in 2000. I lived in New York in 1992. I'm terrible at spotting celebrities to the point where like, I have that experience where my sister is elbowing me in the airport going, that's Vanna White or whatever, you know? And, and I just don't notice. So I don't think that I have any answer to that question. I will say uh, before she was as famous as she is now, I did see Sandra O oh down by East Village, um, down by the, the Joseph Papp Theater. Is that down there? And she, she looked amazing. She had like multicolored hair and just was crushing it. And so that's, I apologize. I, I haven't had that much experience with. I think that's a, I think that's a fine answer. I think All right. I, pre I appreciate your, your generosity. And in general, I'm here to stand for Sandra O. Oh. Um, my amazing for, hair. Amazing. Uh, my question for you. Is the Cyrano story the most obvious example of a tale that written by a writer ennobles the social role of being a writer because it turns out that being a real wordsmith gets you laid? So of all the stories that do that work of like writers writing things that show you that writers are who really has it, man, is Cyrano the most drastic version or can you think of any other versions you would put up against it 
Well, I would say maybe the sun also rises. I mean, that guy was like supposedly impotent or whatever. I don't know. I don't know exactly what that meant or means. I mean, I, I, but he still was like getting like the most ass, like the most attention. So I would say it's a close contender. Yeah, I think that's legit. I mean, I think, you know, there's a good case to be made for like the Bible, right? In the beginning was the word, right? The whole, like all of, all of Christianity depends from like writerliness and, you know, Jesus, of course, doesn't get laid just because he's so chaste, but he's like the final. He, but he could. But he could by like, he's like Jake Barnes, right? In, in. Uh, oh, Jake Barnes. Also, Jesus. Rises, is like, like he doesn't get laid, but he could get laid by anyone because he's Jesus. Right. Uh, and, right. and, uh, and he's like the condensation of the word, right. In the beginning was the word and that word was God and that God is condensed on earth as, as, uh, as Jesus. So it's quite, it's quite a trope, this whole like writerliness thing. Let's move on to our final bespoke question. Uh, my last bespoke question is kind of lame. So I'm going to ask it first to save your, your question for last. If you could, and I think we've maybe done a version of this question before, but we're not above repeating ourselves on this podcast. No, we certainly are not. If you did see this movie and could have refills of any one cocktail for free while watching it, what cocktail would you choose? Um, okay, uh, definitely uh, gin uh, martini. Gin martini. Um, yeah, I, li- I like a gin martini with like a good ratio, like not too dry, you know, like a, a four to one kind of gin martini with olives, not dirty. Okay, I thank you for that answer. It's mistaken. I forgot to say the correct answer was Sazerac, which is actually just Cyrano de Bergerac shortened. So that was the that was the correct answer, oh. Sazerac. But maybe next time. I, I like getting things wrong though, because it helps me improve the idea that I could get something right next time. Yeah, that's that's beautiful sentiment. I'm ready for the final question. Uh, in honor of the Desner's involvement in this in this movie which is to me the only exciting thing about it at all, really, other than Peter Dinklage being hot. Um, what's your current favorite Taylor Swift song? Gold Rush. And, okay, wow. And is that like, do you think that that's permanent? No, no. In fact, in fact, I just said that because we've been talking about like Desner involved things. It may be, you know, I may have over-listened to it, but it may, I, I, I think... Again, like I say this every third episode, right? I used to be a professional music critic and moreover, I'm a boy, I, I make lists. So I've done a lot of making lists of the top Taylor Swift songs over the course of my life and, they, and they've changed some, but not a whole lot. And actually I think the top two songs of all time, I've, I've been pretty steady on for a long time, which are uh, a song called Our Song from her very first record. And then All Too Well, which famously was re-released recently in the 10 minute version, the Sad Girl Autumn version. I've listened to that a ton, but over the course of the last couple of years and particularly with the Desners in mind, Gold Rush has been a special favorite as well. Now, weirdly, Jack Antonoff produced Gold Rush. Did you uh, know that? I didn't know that. I Because today I was looking and I'm terrible at, I don't know that kind of stuff. And I was looking it up because I was like, I wanted to see what their really bad song was, which was like Coney Island, the one that she does with the guy from the national, which kind of sounds what I think the national sounds like anyway, but Jack Antonoff, that's like the only, cause I thought that he produced 
sort of, I thought they sort of split producing on those records, but Desner did most of it. And then Antonoff just did a little bit of it. Well, I'm, I'm slightly relieved to know that my sensibilities remain yes. true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, next time we will be doing a special Oscar episode. That's right. We have this special episode discussing something in relation to Oscar nominees for our next episode. Yeah. The Oscars is a great time to think about not seeing things, I think. Yeah. The Oscars, right, is defined by seeing the couture and not seeing the movies, right? Yes, exactly. Thank you to Erica Heilman, our producer, and thank you to Chuck Lindo, who has written many versions of a wonderful theme song for our show. And thank you to Rebecca Ackerman, who does our graphics. And uh, as always, thank you to Joshua Clover, who who joined me tonight. And so generous. Thank you to the whole production team. Thank you to you, Sarah. And of course, thank you to our listeners at home. If you have thoughts about what movies you would like us to not see. Yes. Feel free to tweet at Sarah, who's on Twitter at Sarah Loves Callie. Yes, please do. We are happy to not see the movies that you want us to not see. We are we are more or less dying to not see movies. We are. Uh, thank you and have a wonderful week, if you possibly can. <laughs>